Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. It's not reading. Okay. The season of Advent is a time of hopeful remembering and eager anticipation for the coming of the Savior. We, who live in the time between times of Jesus' first coming and his last known, uh, his last, know both the delight of God's grace poured out onto us and the longing desire to be finally and fully freed from the seeming inexorable allure of sin. Yet in spite of brokenness, without, without and within, we know that our Savior comes, and we declare it with great excitement. Just as Elizabeth did when Mary, newly pregnant with the Savior Jesus, did when she came to visit. Luke one thirty nine through 45 In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she acclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We light this candle with the assurance that a light has come into the darkness. Let us pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Thank you, Sarah and Chris. So, kids, I got ahead of myself. If you're still in here, you're more than welcome to head out. So my name is Joel Waymack. I'm one of the elders here. Trey is actually traveling this morning, uh, so I get the opportunity to open up the word. So like I said earlier, this morning we are in the season of Advent. And so if you're unfamiliar with the Christian calendar, the Christian calendar starts, the ecclesiastical calendar starts with the season of Advent. And so maybe it's appropriate to say uh, Happy New Year to you all. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. So in the season of Advent, we are waiting, longing, hoping for Christ to come. And the beautiful thing about the season of Advent is as we're walking through Israel's hopes in the Old Testament, we're also seeing what our hope is on this side of the resurrection, that one day Jesus will come again in the second Advent and he will set all things right. So the season of Advent is all about hoping, longing, and expectation. So this year, during Advent, what we're doing is we're going through and we're looking at portraits in Scripture of people who were waiting, 
and longing for the coming Messiah. This morning in particular, we're going to be flipping open to the Gospel of Luke and looking at the portrait of Simeon, a righteous man. So let me pray for us before we jump in. Father God, we pray that you work through your word. We pray that uh, spirit that you'll be in our minds, helping us understand more about who you are and your great purposes in this world. But Spirit, I also pray that you draw on our affections so that we will love you more. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our Messiah, who came and will one day come again. Amen. So I remember the Christmas of 1996 very vividly. For months, my sister and I had been talking with my parents about getting a trampoline. We were so excited because trampolines were and are very cool. We just had to have one. I remember uh, all December just leading up, talking about getting that trampoline, thinking about how wonderful it was going to be when we were outside jumping all day long. And so I remember the morning came, it was Christmas, and I remember jumping out of bed and running into the living room I was so excited to see this ginormous box underneath the tree. My trampoline would arrive and glory would descend. I was so excited. Okay, so I woke up that morning and I ran out to the living room and I looked under the tree and there was no ginormous box. I was crushed. I was crushed. I remember though that there was a large box leaning against the wall I remember seeing it and thinking, there's no way that a full-size trampoline would fit in that box. That is not it. My, like I said, my excitement, my hopes, my dreams were dashed. (laughs) Well, lo and behold, to my surprise, my 10-year-old brain couldn't understand the fact that lugging in a full-size trampoline box and placing it under a tree would be just stupid. So my parents, in their infinite wisdom, had wrapped the box that had the ladder and the accessories in it and placed it next to the tree and left the actual trampoline out in the garage. Surprise, they're smart. And so (laughs) I remember being just disappointed and crushed. But then when we opened that box, I remember tearing it open and seeing this trampoline ladder and thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, We have a trampoline, where is it? I was so excited once again. There was rejoicing and merriment and many, many hours of jumping. When I think about the season of Advent, I think about that Christmas of 1996 because I think about the buildup and the excitement, the anticipation of having a trampoline. I remember going out and thinking, oh no, what is happening? What's going on here? This is not what I had expected or hoped in. But then I saw that the fullness of my hope was still realized, that the promise was still fulfilled. When we start talking about the people of Israel looking and hoping and waiting during this season of Advent for a Messiah to come, Like many of them, my expectations were off. Their expectations were for someone to come to throw out the oppressive Roman rule, to come reestablish the earthly kingdom of Israel, to conquer all their oppressors. 
But the reality was that wasn't God's plan. And that's also not what his promises had said in the Old Testament. So this morning, as we're looking through this portrait of a man named Simeon, keep in mind God's placing him in this story because his perspective on the fulfillment of the promises of God is actually the right perspective. In contrast to many of the people of Israel, many of the Jewish believers of his time, his hope was firmly set on God and what God would do through his promises. And so in Simeon, we see Israel's right longing year after year, generation after generation, for the Messiah to come and fulfill the promises of God, to comfort God's people, to reestablish them, not as some military power, but as the people who are rightly loving, praising, serving, and pursuing God. So that's the portrait that we're going to see this morning in the life of Simeon. So if you want to grab your Bible, or if you want to follow along on the screen, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 22 through 35. So this is what it says. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So this is Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus up to Jerusalem. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. So like many characters in the Bible, Simeon fades into the story for a short period of time and then fades out just as quickly. This set of verses is all that we have about Simeon. We never hear about him again in Scripture. And this makes sense. If, you, if you've been coming to Refuge for a while, at the very beginning of the service, we talk every single week about this grand story that we see in Scripture. It's the story of God at work to redeem, to save, to restore, and one day ultimately consummate his kingdom again here on earth. And so this story isn't about Simeon. This story is about Jesus, because we believe that the entire Bible points to Jesus. But through this short story that we see, through Simeon, we see a picture of God's working and the right hope and waiting that we are to have as well. So we don't know a whole lot about Simeon, 
But there are four things that Luke records about him that I think is, are helpful for us to meditate on. The first thing is just simply his location. He lives in Jerusalem. So he might be a Levite. He might be a priest. He might be someone working in the temple. But he could just as easily be a blacksmith or a carpenter or a merchant. He simply lives in Jerusalem. So he's, he's part of the daily rhythm of the life of God's people in living in the holy city, Jerusalem. The second thing that we know about Simeon is that he is a righteous and devout man. Interesting words. In Luke's context, when he uses these two words, he actually has something particular in mind. When he uses the term righteous, he's talking about Simeon's attitude toward other people around him. People are declared righteous in this Jewish context by keeping the law, but specifically the law in terms of relation with one another. That means that he's caring for orphans and widows. That means he's loving his neighbors well. This aspect of righteousness in Simeon's life is, is a righteousness in relationship with other people by following the law, but not just the letter of the law, the spirit of the law, loving others around him. And the second part of that phrase, that he's devout, means that he is following after God. Once again, following God's law and God's purposes, but trusting in God, hoping in God, offering right sacrifices before God. So Simeon is a righteous and devout man. He's a faithful Jew. The third thing that we know about Simeon is that he knew Scripture and he was trusting in it. Now this is evident by the fact that Simeon knows God's promises. He knows what God has said in the Old Testament through his prophets, that God was going to bring a consolation to his people Israel. He was going to comfort them, that God would restore Israel All these things are wrapped up in the prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. And so Simeon knew his scripture well. He he was a faithful Hebrew. His hopes and his promises were in God, so he knew scripture. The fourth thing that we know about Simeon is he was, the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we read that in scripture, we know that there's something special going on here. There's something special about Simeon. Well, to take that back, there's something special that God is doing through Simeon in this story. Generally, when we read about the Holy Spirit being upon someone in Scripture, it means that they are being called to a specific purpose, generally to prophesy, to speak a word for God to the people. And here we actually see that going on. Not only had Simeon received a special promise from God that one day he would see the Messiah come, but he also has a declaration, a prophecy to give when he meets this Messiah. So those are the four things that we see Luke presenting in this portrait of Simeon in this story. And I think those are important things to know about as we're reading it, as we're thinking through what is going on in the story. Who is Simeon? What is his hope? What is he doing here? He's a faithful Jew hoping in the promises of God. So let's jump back to the story and read it again or think through it again in that light. So we start off in verses 22 through 24, and Joseph and Mary are heading up to Jerusalem. Well, what are they doing going to Jerusalem? Great question. What they're really doing is they're being devout Jews. 
Now, this is very surprising to some people that Mary and Joseph are Jewish. Some people are surprised that Jesus is Jewish. But they're faithful Jews. They're going up to Jerusalem because there are specific commands that were given in in the Torah for what to do when you have a newborn baby. So they're going up for two specific reasons. The first reason is Jesus is supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. So all the way back in Exodus, if you remember, God leading the people out of Egypt, he sends 10 plagues to the people of Egypt. And the very last plague that he sends on the people of Egypt is killing off all of the firstborn males in the land, except for the people of Israel who painted over their doorways with the blood of a lamb. When that happened, when God sent the Passover plague against Egypt, he also declared that every firstborn of the people of Israel was now dedicated and holy to him. So in sparing all the firstborn of Israel, God declared them holy, righteous, his own, set apart for his purposes. And so the people of God were called to present a sacrifice for their firstborn sons to buy them back from the Lord. And so that's, why, that's one of the reasons Mary and Joseph are actually going up to the temple, to dedicate Jesus to the Lord, to present a sacrifice for Jesus as the firstborn son. This, there's a second reason they're going up, though. In the law, Mary just had a baby. At this point in the story, Jesus is about 40 days old. And so Mary is going up to the temple to offer purification sacrifices as well. So she is called in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, to go up to the temple and to offer a sacrifice for sin and for purification. So Mary's being a faithful Jew. She's going, following the laws, following the Torah, and she's going up there. So these are the two reasons that Mary and Joseph and Jesus are going up to the temple in Jerusalem. This is nothing out of the ordinary. This would be very, very common for the people of Israel. Side note, I love the depiction here of Joseph and Mary. You may not catch it, but Luke actually records what sacrifice Mary is bringing for her purification and sin offering. She's bringing two birds. If you went all the way back into Leviticus and looked this up, you would see that the proper sacrifice is actually a lamb and a bird. But there's, there's actually special permission given for people who are poor to instead present two birds. This presents, Luke's presenting Mary and Joseph as a standard working blue-collar couple who aren't able to afford a lamb for the sac- purity sacrifice. And so instead, they're offering two birds. I love that. These are the type of things that you see and you're like, oh, these are real people we're talking about here with real lives, real jobs, trying to honor and love God. Okay, that's your your freebie for the morning. You're welcome. So Mary and Joseph and Jesus are going up to the temple and they're going to do what God has commanded, the set of sacrifices that God has, has given them. And when they go into the temple the temple complex, something crazy and strange and weird is about to happen. Both Mary and Joseph are no strangers to strange things happening. If you remember, they've both been visited by angels. That's, that's strange. Can we agree that's strange to be visited by angels? Yeah. They've also, when Jesus was born, 
encountered shepherds who came and told them that they saw an angelic chorus in the skies singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. That is also strange. So everything about Jesus' birth has had strange elements to it. Maybe at this point in the story they're like, <laughs> okay, we're just going to go up to the temple, we're going to give our sacrifices, it's just going to be a normal trip to the temple. Maybe that's what they were hoping for, but that's not what happened. Instead, when Mary and Joseph enter the temple complex, there is someone else who has been brought into the spirit, in the spirit up into the temple complex because there's something that God wants to do. And when they enter the temple complex, this stranger, Simeon, approaches them and asks them, can I hold Jesus? Don't know about you, but if I came into a church and someone was like, and someone random just came up and asked me, hey, can we hold your, your baby, baby boy? I'd probably be a little weird, weirded out, but they let it happen. And then in verses 29 and 32, as Simeon is holding this baby, as this strange encounter is going on, this is what Simeon prophesies and says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I'm sure as Mary and Joseph are hearing this, they're a bit bewildered. But for Simeon, this baby that he is holding is the completion of his hope and the promises of God to him. Simeon had waited his entire life to see the consolation of Israel, this baby that had been promised. And God had promised to Simeon, you will see this baby, you will see the coming Messiah before you die. Simeon's longing his hope was complete. His faith had been turned to sight. When I think of the story of Simeon, I think about the nature of hope. And I think there's three aspects of hope that we see coming out in the story of Simeon that are important for us to contemplate as well during this Advent season. The first is that hope is oriented toward something. To 10-year-old Joel, my hope was oriented toward a trampoline. But for Simeon and for the people of Israel, it was that a coming Messiah would bring consolation, hope, restoration to God's people. That God's saving promises would be fulfilled. The object of hope for the people of Israel and for Simeon was this Messiah. The second aspect of hope is that it's always future-oriented. We don't hope about things that we have. We hope in things that will one day come to pass. It's not something that we've experienced. It's something that's out there that we're waiting for, that we're longing for, that we're hoping in. Something that we hope will become a reality in our lives. And the third aspect of hope is that our hope is in proportion to the one who gave us the promise. For Simeon, his hope is placed in God because God is true 
and his promises will surely come to pass. Simeon's hope was anchored in the unchanging nature of his God, who had worked in the past to fulfill his promises and will one day work again to fulfill his promises. So you and I, as we contemplate in this season of Advent, are called to think about what are we hoping in? Like Simeon, are we hoping in the things of God? Are we looking to God as the one who fulfills our hopes and the promises? The hopes for what will one day be. So in this story, Simeon is waiting, hoping, and clinging to God's promises. The promises that God has declared to his people all the way back hundreds of years before Simeon's arrival. When I think about Simeon holding Jesus, I have to think that Simeon's going back and, and thinking through the promises of God, especially near the end of Isaiah, kind of Isaiah chapter four, chapters 40 all the way to 66, to the end of the book where God speaks over and over again about comforting and restoring his people, about bringing salvation to not only them, but to the nations as a whole, bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. So this is my question for us. As we're looking at this story, as we're thinking about Simeon, as we're looking and contemplating the nature of our hope, let me ask you this. What is your hope in this Advent season? What are you waiting for? What are you longing for? What are you hoping in? What's the object of your hope? And who is the guarantee of that hope? Like Simeon, our hope should be placed in God's promises. What God has spoken, what he has said, what will one day come to pass because God is once again the guarantee of our hope. If I'm honest with, my, with you guys, my own life is, on, is generally filled with things that I'm hoping in outside of God's promises. They can be good things, but oftentimes I'm looking to God to fulfill promises that he has not promised to me. It could be, man, I hope God that you fulfill this promise to me that I'll be happy. God never promises that to me. Or maybe that I'll be comfortable and well off. Those aren't things that God promises to me. Or maybe that I'll, my family will be good, my kids will be obedient. Please, God, actually make that one happen. But there's so many things that I think about in my own life, and I'm like, God, I know you promised this to me, but when I stop and I reflect, those aren't God's promises. could be getting married, or being healthy, or you name it. God's promises have already been set. God's promise to me here and now is that he will be with me, and that one day there will be a fullness of that reality when once again God is with us. And that's our hope. Anchored in God's promise, what will one day be is that Jesus will return, the second advent will occur, and this will be true. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without repayment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. During the Advent season, our hope is in this promise of God, of what will one day be when Jesus returns, and all things are set right, and we are once again face to face with our God, that faith becomes sight. So this is my encouragement to you during, our, during this Advent season. Like Simeon, let's wait and hope in this promise of God. And let's wait faithfully. Let's long and endure and look to God who will one day return and make all things right according to his promises. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are good and gracious to us, your wayward people. We confess that we trust and we hope in a lot of things that you have not promised to us. But we pray, Lord, during this season of Advent, that Spirit, you'll work in us, revealing sin, revealing things that we are clinging to apart from you. And I pray that Spirit that you'll work in us, helping us long and hope and endure for the second coming of Christ. We thank you that he has come and he has set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And we look forward to the day that he returns and sets all things right. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.